Welcome to the One for the Money podcast. I'm your host, Johnny West. I'm a certified financial planner, and here I will teach you the tips, tricks, and strategies I use to help others retire early. This is the easy button when it comes to early retirement. Everything you want or need to know is right here. I'm so glad you join us on the show. Welcome to episode eight of the One for the Money podcast. I'm both glad and grateful you have taken the time to listen today. A critical component of building wealth and early retirement is to not pay more taxes than you have to. Everyone has to pay taxes, but no one says you need to leave a tip. Consequently, pursuing strategies to reduce what you pay in taxes will help ensure you have more of your money to spend in your early retirement and give less of your money to the government to spend instead. However, in order to implement these tax mitigation strategies, you really should have a general understanding of taxes, which is what I will provide in today's show. Now, I know this may not be the most exciting topic, actually far from it, but it is incredibly important and I'll try to make it as interesting as possible. And because learning about taxes can be a bit mind-boggling and you can only take so much, I will be splitting this tax breakdown over two different podcast episodes. And be sure to listen to the end because in the tips, tricks, and strategies section of the podcast, I'll share a way to generate tax-free income that may sound too good to be true, but it is a real strategy. Now on with the show. When it comes to taxes, it can be incredibly confusing how they work and the terminology they use certainly doesn't help. They use terms such as gross income and adjusted gross income. And if that's not confusing enough, they add modified adjusted gross income. There's also above the line deductions versus below the line deductions. Then there's the marginal tax rate versus the effective tax rate. Then there's tax credit versus tax deduction. And the list goes on and on. All this confusing terminology makes many people want to just ignore taxes altogether. But should one decide to choose to ignore taxes, it's very likely that they'll end up paying more in taxes than they would need to. Because reducing taxes that you pay is really about implementing specific strategies over the course of many years and would be based on a general knowledge and understanding of taxes. Hope isn't a plan when it comes to reducing taxes, nor is ignorance. With that said, let me begin with an explanation of how income taxes are calculated. In the United States, the most significant sources of revenue for the government come via income taxes. Income can come from many sources. Gross income is the term used to describe the total amount of all of your sources of income. You might have heard the term previously when you heard it reported that such and such movie went on to gross over $100 million in U.S. theaters. As I mentioned, gross income includes all of the income you would receive. Examples would include wages that you would receive from a job, dividends that you would receive from investments that you had in companies. It would also include alimony you would receive from a divorced spouse. Also would include capital gains, also interest income that you would receive from the bank or from investment in bonds. It'll also include rental income that you would receive from an investment property. And it would even include royalties that you earned 
Say you were in a band years ago and recorded a one-hit wonder. And just so you know how my mind works, I was thinking about royalties and, of course, one-hit wonders. And so I looked up what were the top one-hit wonders. And according to Rolling Stone magazine, the number one one-hit wonder was AHA's Take On Me. Now, interestingly, AHA wasn't a one-hit wonder, at least not in Europe, as they had quite a few hit songs just here in America. Now, the number two one-hit wonder in the United States was Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum, which is a great song, which I have in my own playlist. Anyway, back to taxes. The good news is that you aren't taxed on all of your gross income if you plan accordingly. If your gross income was $100,000, the IRS won't tax you on all $100,000 if you had certain activities. Now, they call these reductions adjustments, hence the term adjusted gross income. A few examples of allowable adjustments you can subtract would include educator expenses. So if you're a teacher and you used some of your own money in the classroom, you could deduct that from your income. Other examples would include SEP IRA or individual retirement account contributions. They'd also include HSA contributions, interest on your student loans, and another one would be the health insurance premiums for you and your family members if you are paying for these yourself. Now, these are just a few examples of the quote-unquote adjustments, and these adjustments are also called above-the-line deductions, but I'll discuss above-the-line deductions in more detail later in this podcast. So how can this knowledge of adjusted gross income help save you on taxes? Well, you can see that making contributions to your HSA or your SEP and other IRAs can lower the amount of your income that would be taxed. So that's the explanation of gross income and adjusted gross income. The next stage is modified adjusted gross income. And modified adjusted gross income is simply the IRS's way of saying, if you make too much income, we're going to take some of those adjustments that lower the amount of your income that would be taxed. For example, if your income is really, really high, they won't allow you to deduct the interest you are paying on student loans as they're really trying to help lower earning Americans with these benefits. So to recap, we start with a total of all your sources of income, which is called gross income, and then we make adjustments and modifications. And that's how we get to our adjusted gross income. Clear as mud, right? Let me provide an example to help explain. Let's say my wife and I earned $100,000 in total in 2021. That would be our gross income. And let's say in total, we made $5,000 worth of contributions to IRAs and $5,000 worth of contributions to an HSA. That would mean our gross income would be adjusted to $90,000. The further good news is that the remaining $90,000 that we had isn't all subject to taxes as there is an additional stage that will further reduce how much of a person's income will be taxable. This stage is called the deduction phase, which will further lower the amount of your income on which you have to pay taxes. Now, there are two different ways that you can determine this deduction. One is called the standard deduction, which everyone can take, hence the name standard. And the other is called the itemized deduction. 
the itemized deductions are additional adjustments you would make if you had certain qualifying expenses. If these adjustments in total are higher than the standard deduction, then you would use the itemized deduction. Clear as mud, right? Well, let me explain using an example again. Using the earlier example, my wife and I have $100,000 of gross income, and we make adjustments based on those $5,000 contributions to the IRAs and the $5,000 contributions to HSAs, giving us an adjusted gross income of $90,000. Now, we have $90,000 as their adjusted gross income. The standard deduction for 2021 for a married person is $25,100. That means we would subtract $25,100 from our AGI of $90,000, giving us $64,900 of income that would be taxable. So that's great news. That $25,100 of income is the standard amount that we wouldn't have to be taxed on. Now, for your information, the standard deduction in 2021 is different for single, married, and head of household persons. For single, it's exactly half that of the married filing jointly, so it's $12,550. And as I mentioned, for married filing jointly, it's $25,100. And for head of household, it's $18,800. And head of household are people that aren't married, who are caring for a qualifying dependent who could be either a child or even their parent. Now, that's what we would get if we didn't itemize. Now, everyone gets that. You don't have to do anything special. However, if you had certain expenses in total that were higher than the standard deduction, then you'd want to itemize. And let me list four of the major expenses included in the itemized deduction. The first is if your medical expenses were higher than 7.5% of your adjusted gross income in a certain year. Now, Congress is giving people a break if they had huge medical expenses during a year and they could offset that against their taxes. The second expense are for state and local taxes paid. You would receive a deduction for the income and property taxes that you would pay your state, such as California, Hawaii, New York, etc. Now, under current tax law, you can't take the entire amount, but it's capped at $10,000. So for example, if I paid $25,000 in property and income taxes to the state, I could only deduct $10,000 in the itemized deduction calculation. The third expense is the interest paid on your mortgage. So that's right. The government incentivizes home ownership. Whether that's fair or not, I'll leave that up to you, but they do give people a benefit for owning homes. And so you would include all the interest that you would pay on your mortgage. Now, the final major itemized expense is charitable contributions. Think donations to Salvation Army, Red Cross, tithing paid to a church, or contributions to a GoFundMe fundraiser. Now, you have these major expenses. If you had medical expenses, state and local taxes, you had interest on your mortgage and charitable contributions, you would add all of these up. And if they were higher than the standard deduction, then you would use that instead of the standard deduction. So let me explain. For my wife and I, the standard deduction was $25,900. 
let's say my wife and I, one year with our medical expenses, were greater than 7.5% of our income, plus we had $10,000 paid in state and local taxes. Then we had interest paid on our mortgage and charitable contributions, and we added all of that up, and it was $30,000. Well, since our standard deduction was $25,900 and our itemized deduction was $30,000, we're going to take the $30,000 instead as that would lower our income even further that would be subject to tax. So how is this knowledge helpful in lowering your taxes? Let's say you give money every year to charity, but it's never enough to get your itemized expenses higher than the standard deduction. Consequently, you don't receive a tax break for making those charitable contributions. Now, a strategy you could use is making larger but less frequent contributions to charity. For example, Let's say you donated $5,000 per year to charity, but only get the standard deduction so you don't get a tax break on these contributions. What if instead you donated $15,000 every three years, and that way you will get the itemized deductions and pay lower taxes on the year that you made the larger charitable contributions? Not that we make charitable contributions so we can get a tax deduction. We are likely giving because we believe in a cause but it is a smart strategy to find a way to receive one. Now, these expenses, salt, you know, state and local taxes, medical expenses above 7.5%, charitable contributions and interest on your mortgage, these are considered below the line deductions. And that's because they may not lower your taxable income if the standard deduction is higher. Now, I referred earlier to the adjustments that we would make for adjusted gross income. And those are known as the above the line deductions. And those are like the HSA contributions and SEP IRA. And those can't be wiped away from the standard deduction, which is why you want to consider above the line deductions as well. Now I'll stop there. It's more than enough taxes to discuss in one podcast. And that's a lot to digest. And in part two of our podcast, In next episode, I'll go over income tax brackets, marginal and effective tax rates, and the difference in a tax credit and tax deduction, and why you want to use the former. I'm sure you're really excited to hear that episode, but it is important. As always, I really hope you found this helpful. When I sit down with clients or anyone that's interested in being a client, we always assess their entire financial picture. We look at everything from their investments to their cash flow, and we also look at their taxes. I review their tax return and review tax mitigation strategies because that's a key area where we can deliver significant value to them and help them save on taxes. If you or your planner are not considering taxes as a key component of your ability to build wealth and retire early, feel free to schedule a free initial meeting with me via betterplanningbetterlife.com website. Now on to the tips, tricks, and strategies section of the podcast. Welcome to the tips, tricks, and strategies portion of the podcast. This is a tip that may sound too good to be true, but I'll share how it isn't. This tax mitigation strategy is commonly referred to as the Augusta Rule, 
and it's so named after the famous golf course on which the Masters Tournament is played each year. You may recall that as the tournament where the winner receives the green jacket. Now, Section 280A of the IRS tax code allows homeowners to rent out their primary residence for up to 14 days per year without needing to report the rental income on their individual tax return. Now, think about that. If you could rent out your place for $1,000 a night, that would be $14,000 of tax-free income that you could earn every year. Now, this rule was originally created to protect the residents of Augusta, Georgia, who would rent out their homes to attendees of the annual Masters Golf Tournament. And the Augusta rule actually applies to any taxpayer who owns a home in the United States, provided that your home is not your primary place of business. So long as your home you own is not your primary place of business, you can rent it out for up to 14 days and not report that income on your individual tax return. Now, the rent you charge must be reasonable and in line with what the rental market supports. Charging $1,000 per night when comparable houses rent for $200 per night is not considered reasonable. Now, homeowners can rent their houses to individuals looking for vacation opportunities, or they can rent their house to a business owner who intends to use it for business purposes. In the next podcast episode, I'll share a way that business owners can rent out their house to their business. It's pretty remarkable. Now, of course, maybe the biggest hurdle you're going to have with renting out your place is if your spouse is interested in having strangers stay in your place. I already checked with my wife. It's a no-go, but maybe for some of you, it's a way for you to generate tax-free income. Anyway, I really do hope you found this helpful. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out at betterplanningbetterlife.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember that no one builds wealth by accident. If you want to learn more about how to build wealth to retire early, head on over to my website at betterplanningbetterlife.com. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. Johnny West is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC.